This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 455. And the quote of the day is, To know thyself is the beginning of wisdom. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. What's happening? 455. 55. Reminds me of when I was a kid and my friend's dad, Mr. Foster, used to say, slap me five so I know you're alive. Get some change. And that's how he used to, that's how he used to slap me five. And uh, he, uh, yeah, he was a trip. Unfortunately, recently passed away. But I don't know what that has to do with this episode at all. But I don't know. I figure I'd share that with you because that's what was running through my mind. And you know me, uh, I'm a little, I'm a little weird sometimes. Anyway, if th- this is the first time you're tuning in to this ep- or to this podcast, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that uh, that I'm putting you through this, and you're probably like, "Man, this is a bad podcast." But I promise you, it's good. This is episode 455. I'm Nick Ruffini, and this is an episode with Toss Panos. And for many of you out there, you may not know who Toss is. And he was born in Greece, moved over to the United States very young, but then was immersed in the LA scene. And from there was part of the whole like LA sound uh, that, that, that has been around, you know, for years. But some of the people who he's played with, he's played with Weasel Zappa. He's played with Sting, Stephen Stills, Paul Rogers. I mean, the, the list is long. Steve Vai. I mean, Mel Torme. There's a lot of people who he's played with and now, uh, is still out there just killing it. And we get all into that. We talk about, you know, longevity and career. And he's been doing it for a long time, nearly 40 years. He's been out there doing it professionally and. We cover a lot of topics. Uh, some of the stuff that we actually covered in the last episode with Matt Starr, we talk a little bit about sort of fear and 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 dealing with with your own sort of insecurities and things like that. But one of the things, the threads that weaves throughout this whole entire thing is the the idea of self awareness and understanding that you're good at some things, you're not good at some things. Understanding who you are, who you're not, and whether Toss realized it or not. As we were having this conversation, he really paints a great picture of of that self awareness and the idea of um, just really being in in tune with the things that that you should be pursuing and maybe the things that you shouldn't be pursuing. So a very eye opening conversation if you sit back, relax, listen, and be open to the ideas of of what Toss is saying. And before we get into it, I want to let you know that Dream Symbols has been sponsoring this podcast for a very long time. I love those guys over there. And they make amazing symbols that are inexpensive. They're not going to break the bank. And the sound is unprecedented. So do me a favor, support the companies that support this podcast and keep it free for you. Head over to dreamsymbols.com, check them out, hear their symbols, see where you can test them out. And if you're going to be at NAM, definitely check them out at NAM as well. Uh, but check them out, dreamsymbols.com. And without further ado, let's get into it with Toss Panos. Toss, how are you, my man? I'm good. How are you, Nick? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for doing this. I appreciate it. I know we've been we've been trying to uh we've been trying to line this up for a little while, so here we are finally doing it. I know. It's right around the holidays, so yeah. but this is when everything, you know, typically it all slows down, but for some reason the last 
six years or so, I get busy around the holidays. Busy is good, though, Christmas. Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, last year, we were in Japan up until the 23rd of December. You know, mm-hmm. it's like the last time, you know, the last unexpected gigs. You know, they, they've, they've been coming in at the end of the year, and that's it's good. It's yeah. fine. It's just stressful. But Who were you in Japan with? I was with uh, Steve Lukather, Jeff Babko, and Jurgen Carlson from Government Mule. That was a year ago. But um, every Christmas we do this, that band is called Nerve Bundle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and Luke, you know, put this together a few years ago, and we have been doing, you know, demented Christmas tunes, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> at the Baked Potato. So we do them. We, we blew it off this year, but we went to Japan last year. We did the baked potato three nights. And this year, scheduling didn't work out. But okay. um, that's typically what my, you know, December has been like the last six years. Mm-hmm. Maybe even longer. Yeah. And I you guys do been... it with Lukather and Jimmy Johnson. And Jimmy Johnson, Lukather, Matheson, Greg Matheson. Mm-hmm. It started there. And then Jurgen Carlson got involved and, we brought Babco in and, and that's been like, uh, you know, uh, once a year gig and there is plans for a record. Nice. Luther wants to do a record of this stuff eventually. So, and you guys are, I mean, you guys are all old buds, right? Like, Oh yeah. I mean, you know, 20 years, I would mm-hmm. say I've known most of these guys. Right. Yeah. And you know, I met Luther through Landau through, you know, back in the day when I was doing Mike's thing with Jimmy Johnson. And so I, I got in with that click mainly through Mike, mm-hmm. Mike Landau. And, and so we used to play together once in a while, Mike, Lukather, um, Jimmy Johnson, Babco, Matheson, I'm spacing out, John Pierce. And then, you know, and then after the Landau thing ended, um, which is, you know, I did that for about nine years. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, um, you know, I was out with Robin Ford and a bunch of guitar players, you know, and Robin brought in Carlton and Larry Carlton and then Schofield and Michael McDonald. And, you know, so I was doing that, all those things for a minute. And then, and then something opened up and Luke just, Luke and I started playing, which is cool. You yeah. Know, it's yeah, yeah. Totally cool. Um, but my main gig, really, the last 14, almost 15 years has been with Draco Rosa. <clears throat> Excuse me. I just had a root canal. So, oh, sorry. they're the worst. I can't. I can't. I know. And the, the biggest worst. ripoff of all time. You know, yeah. $5,000 for one, two, you know. Yeah. Uh, I should have been a dentist <laughs> and not a drummer. <laughs> dude, I'm telling you, and there's no insurance worthy of buying for it. But Nope. Um. So I was just saying, um, you know, I've been playing with this guy, Draco Rosa, um, for almost 15 years. And we just, we just finished up a a short tour two days ago and I've done most of his record, almost all of his records since I think 2003. And the latest record, the one I did with him a year ago, it was just released is apparently number one in all of Latin America. That's awesome. Billboard charts. You know, go figure. It's not a reggaeton. 
kind of record. Um, right. And Sony Latin America is like releasing this, you know, got, you know, three guys playing in a room with hardly any edits, uh, a, a true rock and roll record in, in Spanish, but really cool. I've always enjoyed <laughs> who, working with, with Taco. Who, yeah. Who would have thought that three guys in a room uh, would be a good thing to do? You know, it's like, come on. Of course, yeah, that's what you, you should know, be doing. <laughs> That's how it used to be done. And, and know. Um, you know, so the basics were at least that. They were done like that, you know. Right, with right. With Rene Camacho on an upright bass. It's a heavy rock record. Uh, and, you know, Draco wanted to use upright bass. And Rene's one of the best ever. Rene Camacho on bass and um, Doug Pettibone on guitar and Draco himself on, on guitars and you know, various overdubs and all the vocals and just a superb singer, one of the greatest rock singers of all time, I think, as good as anybody I've ever heard. He's definitely uh, an instrument, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, he's an improviser. He can do all kinds of great things with his voice. He's super versatile and, and quite the poet as well. So, you know, the lyrics are typically in Spanish, so I have to get them translated at one point before I understand anything and sometimes you know some drummers like to know what people are singing about because it, it helps the way you carve a song out that's what i was going to ask you, know. you. Yeah. Did, like do you need the do you need the lyrics does it does it help you make like it. decisions yeah you know i'm one of those guys that does like that i know a lot of drummers that don't care at all and right. um, <laughs> like, and just I, let I me hear the track and really i'll just record <laughs> I've always liked lyrics, you know, back to Bob Dylan or, or John Hyatt or uh, Joni Mitchell. You know, I would always check out lyrics. Mm -hmm. uh, Elton John and Bernie Taupin, um, any of the Greek music I grew up with, I would always, you know, I was fascinated by what they were singing about. And, and I don't know how it affects my playing. I just know I like, I mean, that's part of being involved with something is you want to get inside of it. And if and that's a big part of music, you know what what the narrative is. If it's the other gig I'm doing is Derek Smalls, you know the mm -hmm. Spinal Tap bass yeah. player, and I'm stuck gearing up for that. I mean, if you don't know anything about Spinal Tap and you go in to that gig, you know uh, you're not getting the obscure references to you know the narrative, the current narrative. It's like I mean, it's, you should know what's going on. You should know right. everything, you know, that, that's, mm -hmm. it helps me just feel like I'm a part, I'm weaving, you know, I'm part of the weaving process. I don't want to stand out, uh, ever, you know, I just, right. uh, you know, I think Keith Richards calls it the ancient art of weaving where him and Ronnie Wood would, um, you know, individually they're both shitty guitar players that but collectively they're they're better than anybody as he puts it and right. like, i always like that i use that as a metaphor um i, I like to weave in a, in a in a band versus stand out or play a beat you know just right. play a beat right. you know and that, it all has to do with the sound of your instrument so maybe knowing you know a dark ballad versus a happy ballad uh, you know Maybe that has something to do with with the way I, you know, my drum selection, you know, the mm -hmm. way I tune something or affect it or how I touch it. 
you know. Um, sure. Maybe. I just like to know, you know, what, what people are singing about. <laughs> yeah, I th- I'm, you know, I'm the same way. I love the, I love lyrics. I've always been, you know, sometimes I've actually gotten so lost in the lyrics where I'm not listening to the drum. You know, if I'm just like listening to a record or something, where I'm like, oh, I didn't even yeah. realize what the drummer was playing because I'm so in tune with the lyrics. I don't know how much that that uh, changes how what I play on the drum. But I would, I'm nowhere near as sophisticated as a drummer as you are. Um, but I think you know, even for me, it makes a, a little bit of difference. So I would imagine you're you're a lot more in tune with what with what you're doing. So I would imagine the, you know, the lyrics or, are helping you or out. Or yeah, too. yeah, or just like what not to play, or maybe it doesn't need any drums. You know, if there's something right. being you know uh, said that needs to be heard, maybe you don't play there. I, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I don't want to get too deep about it because it's just a natural process for me. It's part right. of listening and enjoying music to, to where you want to play it, you know? Yeah. Um, cause you know, the older I get, I, uh, you know, I'm really not interested in the drums anymore on their own. Um, I've tried that and I was okay at it at times. Uh, of course I have a three drummer band with Kurt Pascara and Satnam Ramgotra. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a Galactic fully improvised. Yeah, a Galactic Budico, which is you know a, a gringo way of saying Galacto Budico, which is a Greek dessert. Right. Um, <laughs> that Pistera loved when he, you know, my mom made it one day and he flipped out over it. And he goes, "Dude, he couldn't say Galacto Budico, so he, he came up with Galactic Budico." <laughs> nice. And that, it's fitting for it's fitting for you know the the hip. Biscara and Satnam, you know, they're, they're like, oh, yeah, man, it's, you know, hip hop mm-hmm. to them. Right, so, right, right. Um, you know, but go back. What so were you I, go back so, to what were you saying about how you're how you're not interested in in drums? I, mean, I, I am, you know, I mean, of course, you know, I'm a drummer that loved and still loves, you know, hearing guys like Bozio. I mean, he was one of the first I heard do that. You know, where it went to melodic drumming and just one dude playing all this stuff with ostinatos and all that. I, it was too hard for me to get into that. I, I, you know, I don't have all that facility. It was, you know, I was busy playing with people. And when I had any spare time, you know, the last thing on my mind was like working on that kind of stuff. And I didn't have the energy either. Right. So it was always hard enough playing songs and, you know, even just, learning how to blow over a song, you know, the form. And, you know, I keep thinking of like something Monk, Thelonious Monk said once when he walked into a club and he, he saw, he walked in and there was a drum solo going on and, you know, and he recognized the song and, you know, said, nice solo, wrong song. You know, it's like, (laughs) apparently the guy was like, you know, he was blowing, he blew the form um, didn't outline the form and, you know, right. Right. So it's like there's, there's soloing and then there's playing, you know, playing the tune, even if it's just you by yourself, you know, and mm-hmm. that's what solo really means. You know, um, you're just by yourself. <laughs> that that's a solo. You can play a groove through, you know, with nobody else playing and you're, you're basically soloing. Right. You know? Right. So, so there's different, different ways to solo you know and you know you you kind of use everything that you know that that you have thus far 
you know where you cap out and you know you know where your threshold is and uh and you try to do the best with what you have and you know nobody is nobody's everything nobody mm-hmm. is everything right um, and I've tried to be a bunch of different people at once. It, it always comes out sounding like, like me, kind of weird and, you know, backwards sometimes. And, um, you know, and some people think that's like the key, that I found the key, you know, by just having a voice. That's what I, I, I didn't make I mean, that's that what up. it's that's all what about though, me. right? Like, you know, I think so. I mean, this is what, like, I just worked for my friend Lyle Workman, a great composer and guitar player. And, you know, and I did a song for him like three weeks ago. And he's like, you know, he goes, nobody plays like you, man. So you found the key to, to what it's all about. And I, I was just like, mm, whatever. You know, I thought I barely got through the piece. And I worked super hard on it. <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, at the end of the day, you never know what, what someone else is thinking. Um, happy that it wasn't a drummer with that comment. It's right. always great when a musician, you know, a composer, even a guy who really knows his shit, you know, has studied mm-hmm. everything about music, not just drums, uh, producers. You know, when you get comments like that from composers, singers, songwriters, chorus musicians, you know, then it's, it's, it feels great mm-hmm. to get it from a drummer. You never know where it's coming from. Right. Right. Um, and I don't buy into that anyway. I try not to, you know, read my uh, read my own press or whatever it's called. You know, buy right. into the hype. You know, because it can work two ways, right? It can build you up and tear you down right away. Right. And, uh, that's, that's and it a, can go too far in either direction, right? Like it can humble you. I would imagine, like if you feel like you're hot shit, and then you read something, you're like, oh, maybe I got a little work to do. But on the other side of it, if you read too far into it, and you know, you can walk in as this egomaniac, and people are like, mm, you're not, you know, yeah, you might, you might want to take hey, it down man. a few notches. The work, you know, the, the work is never done, and that's the beauty of it. Although it's frustrating, and you I love think that. after playing for thirty, you know. After playing for 30-something years, almost 40 maybe, um, in, in, you know, you know, it's like you think it would get easier, and maybe sometimes it gets easier, maybe, but for me, it does not get easier. Um, mm-hmm. Like, you know, two days off, and I feel like I'm starting over technically, physically. You know, my limbs, my hands, my feet, the coordination – confidence all that kind of goes out the window if i haven't had sticks in my hands or even sat sat down with some music uh, really? in a couple of days i need i need to stay at it you know yeah, yeah, yeah. And, when and, you say the and, confidence thing that that sort of goes out the window is it conf- sort of confidence in in your your ability almost like almost like i hope i don't show up at this gig and blow it or is it sort of like just confidence in the stuff that that you can physically play where you're like, I don't know yeah. if I can pull the, pull this more, stuff off. More, more what you just said. Uh, yeah. I just know how my body works and how it connects to my brain and then sends out all the happy, the happy juices, you know, right. and I'm looking for happy juice all the time. So I, I only get that when I've, I've got the goods technically, um, you know, just to the point where I have more than enough to say, and then I can back down and, mm-hmm. and you know, then I can back it off. I think Keltner said once, um, 
I think he said, you know, you can always tell, you know, the, the, the confidence level of a guy, you know, even when he's playing a ballad, you can tell he's got more than that to say, mm-hmm. um, you know, so he's, he's, he's on his game. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, um, versus like the I'm guy that too. feels like his his face is pressed against the ceiling, and he's like, "This is all I got," and you're hearing everything yeah, that I have. And yeah, I mean, even you know Charlie Watts, who's I love Charlie Watts. I always have. Mm-hmm. You you know he doesn't have much more to say than what's going on, but right. he's in one band. He's in one band with pretty much the same formula, and that's a whole other scene when you're yeah. a freelancer. And, and you jump from playing, you know, in a bebop setting or a studio setting or a movie date or a rock setting or, a, you know, a Greek uh, fusion setting or, you know, th- these are the things I'm called for all the guitar player things I've done through the years. They're all different, even though they're guitar players. Robin Ford is way different from Landau. Um, you know, Andy Summers was way different from Lukather. Um, mm-hmm. Schofield was way different from, uh, you know, Car- Carlton. I mean, so even if you're picking one guy, you know, one, one style, uh, I'm not going to say style. Let me rephrase that. If you're, you're picking, let's say, the world of guitar players and guitar music, and, mm-hmm. you know, they're all different. And, yeah, they're calling you because you have a voice but you don't really know that when they're calling you, you know, they, they, they may think you have way more to say than, uh, you know, than the music they're putting out there for you right. at the time. You don't know what it is that it's going to be. So you, you may fall on your face. You may be the wrong guy. Um, yeah, you just gotta stay, you gotta stay prepped and, you know, and often, you know, so, so, it's it's more than twofold. I would say it, it's it, you can't be one dimensional. Um, so it's practicing, um, you know, just to stay loose. And then there's then there's like practicing to dust off the cobwebs, you know, just to get back mm-hmm. to where you were a month ago if you have not been playing. And then there's growing and pushing yourself, um, right? You know, as, as a drummer. And the rest of it is just being a musician, which is the easy part, because if you love music, you're basically a musician, you know, Mm -hmm. on any instrument. So if you're passionate about it and you're not stepping on people and you're dynamic and you're listening, you know, listening is the key. You listen to the singer and your eyes are open. You're looking around, you know, and Mm -hmm. you can read people. You're using all of your senses. You're not just, you know, in your own world and you're, Headphone mix is just drums and click, you know. Right. I mean, you know, so there's a lot to it. And then often music doesn't even come from music. It comes from life. So it could be other experiences. And unbeknownst to you, that's what is driving you that day, you know. Right, and, right, right. And you get to your destiny, you know. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of interesting things that, that you brought up that I'd like to talk about. One is the idea of you may not be the right guy for the job or girl for the job. And, and I, I think that we as artists, as musicians, we look at it like we've worked so hard trying to perfect this craft and then we get fired or we don't get hired and we take it so personally. But you, who's been doing this for nearly 40 years, right? Like 
there's still some gigs that you will get fired from or that you'll go in and you'll be, they'll be like, no, you're not the right guy for this gig. It's just the nature of the beast yeah. though. Right. I, like I think letting people, yeah. under, letting the audience hear that, knowing that like, it doesn't matter if you're 15, 25, 55, 85, you're not going to be right for every gig. You're not going to get, you're not always going to get hired. Like, you know, things happen. Absolutely. I mean, these days, the last, I would say, 10 or 12 years, I just don't even take, I don't seek them out. I, I say no, because I already know, I'm almost positive I'm not the right guy. So I just don't even bother, you know, busting my balls, uh, mm -hmm. showing up for something like that. Because, you know, I mean, and I could be wrong, probably have been wrong a couple of times, but it's usually based on, if I love the music, I know I'm going to be able to play it. You know, right, um, right. You know that's where it, that's what it's come to. So, I actually don't like a lot of music that I used to like. Uh, Interesting. Too much work. You know, it's too much work. And I'm going to say, for lack of a better term, I don't like fusion. For me, it just doesn't work. And fusion in the in the, you know, of course, you know, fusion means it's just a bunch of different musics put together. Mm -hmm. You know, but you know, um, it's a bunch of languages spoken at once. You know, we, that, you know, th that's the positive, uh, outlook when you take a fusion gig, you know, you'll go, well, this is okay. It's got elements of this and that, but you know, I, I, it doesn't work for me. So that, that, that kind of, that style, I don't really like meaning just a bunch of blowing, um, you know, Again, over one chord, I'm okay with it. Uh, or if it's if, if it has roots, I love it. Any 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 jazz that comes from you know blues roots, like Monk, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Anybody that writes like that, I can I can play that a lot easier than I can play. Say, you know, God bless you know, and rest his soul, Alan Holdsworth, who actually called me a couple of times, and before he passed away. Alan saw me at the NAMM show and said, I'm really, really bummed out that we never played. And, and I said, well, you know, I went to your house once I drove to San Diego and I went to a studio and we hung out and he wanted me to do his gig. And, you know, I went to a studio and he opened up some files and I started listening and it was just a click track and this, you know, through composed like endless form, you know, no drum machine, nothing. And I couldn't figure out where the form started. I just... What do you, what do you mean by through like, composed? Well, I mean, basically, I, I never heard where the song came back around to the top. Oh. And, you know, um, and there's more to that, but I, I, I just turned it... I turned the gig down because I saw myself writing out bar charts uh, you know, okay, this is a six, four bar. This might be a three, eight. And then, you know, that's a nightmare to have to, you know, attack music from that standpoint while you're playing. Right. I mean, I would never be able to memorize something that, that long before and, it does. And the music did come back around mm -hmm. for sure. If you talk to Jimmy Johnson or Joel Taylor, any, any of the guys I know that have done the gig, they, they have their own charts and they're all different for the mm -hmm. same music. 
or Chad Wackerman, you know, and I would say of the fusion artists, I mean, that's my one regret that I didn't actually bust my balls to learn because I think Alan, Alan was something special. You know, we never heard anything like that. We won't either. It, it's over. So that's the end of yeah. that. Um, you know, and what was it? Do you think it, it it sucked all the like for you? Did it suck out the emotion out of the music? Is that you mean when I just quit taking those kind of gigs? Yeah, I mean before, yeah, were you like, yeah. did you realize that like there was more thinking and writing than there was just like pure raw emotion? You know, emotional. No, playing? it's just I didn't. I just didn't have all that together. You know that that has really? to be at your fingertips. You right, can't right, right. really learn that in a month. You can't learn that in a month. You know, right? And he, you know, one of my favorite, uh, if you want to call it fusion groups of all time that I was involved with was, was the Landau trio. Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't even know if you have that record, but, um, but I did, a, I, I think four or five different records with Mike, but the live record is, is, you know, one of the seminal recordings that came out of the baked potato and documentation of that group. That was mm-hmm. a great, time and you know and it was like the slowest fusion band in the west i mean it, nothing was fast but it was full of you know raw emotion and and listening and sonic bliss the whole thing so i i kind of after that i was kind of done with playing that kind of music i got you, you. know and so i love playing uh with my oud player friend jimmy malis and we have a little a little group that you know we play three or four times a year. And we're making a record right now. And that's, uh, Oud, myself and playing drums. And then it's usually Dan Lutz playing bass. And that, again, that's, that has roots, but it's, it's kind of like Middle Eastern Greek world fusion, but it has roots and it's not, you know, it's not loud. That's another thing. I, I'm not a great loud drummer. I, I've hmm. been called to play loud gigs. Even the rock gig I do with Robbie Rosa, with Draco, you know, it, it's loud out front, but I'm not playing that hard on stage. So mm-hmm. that's another that's thing. such a I misconception that people think that, like, everyone's bashing these drums. You know, it's like, just let the mics do the work, right? Yeah, you know, but then there's, then there's volume on stage. There's right. volume on stage, and sometimes you don't know how hard you need to hit. Mm-hmm. And monitors usually suck, so you're you're just, you know, kind of making up your own group in your head half the time, you know. Okay, so I think it sounds like this because I'm I'm lost. I don't know how hard I should be hitting and if it's translating and, you know, and then and then ultimately you're just, um, you know, like you find yourself tensing up, and that's when you can't get anything out, you know. I mean, right. all 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 the the air and the, the beauty about your touch and all that, if you get that stuff together, your tone, you know, which is in your hands and your feet and your head and heart and all that, it, it goes out the window for me anyway, when I play hard all the time, I love playing hard, but not for, not for two solid hours, you know? Yeah. Um, like guys like Josh freeze are fantastic at it. Abe junior. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. But he still sounds like he's breathing. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, and he's like a. It's like you're watching the ballet, man, with with someone like that. That's just complete beauty. The guy's built like that, you know. Mm-hmm. He's been playing like that since he was a kid. So, I've always been somewhere, 
you know, on the, well, I don't know what the scale would be, uh, the dynamic scale, but I, I can't play too hard. I, I don't sound right. Right. You know, it's, it's interesting like, you say yeah. that because I, I always had that issue myself and always thought that, you know, as, as we do, you know, you look at yourself and you say, oh, the, I guess I'm just not good enough or, you know, whatever it is. And you tell yourself all these lies, but, but I, it's, yeah, I guess maybe some people are just made to play that way and some people aren't. Well, look at Jim Keltner. He's played on, uh, you know, the biggest rock records of all time. And he plays as soft as Peter Erskine most of the time. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. and that's why it feels that's why it feels good. That's why it feels good. It feels great. That that's mm-hmm. where he can get all the art out. You know, he just knew who he was a long time ago, and and he'll he'll play like that no matter what. You know, mm-hmm. and even though he sounds different, sometimes I can't even tell it's Jim. But uh, you know, upon listening the first time through, you're like, oh, maybe that's him. But man. You know, I look up to guys like that, you know, or my friend Zigaboo from the meters, mm-hmm. same thing. You know, it's like those guys don't play that hard and they get a great sound. Right. You know, then again, Josh Freeze can slam the shit out of a drum and, and he sounds loose. You know, I mean, he sounds comfortable. Yeah. So those guys just have different technique and, you know, I kind of stumbled most of my life until my hands and feet opened up one day and I went, Oh, okay, here it is. You know, late mm-hmm. bloomer that way with technique real really? late, like in my mid twenties. Yeah. Yeah. Cause mm. I was self-taught self-taught until I was like maybe uh, 19. I went to musicians Institute and studied with Joe Picaro and Ralph Humphrey and Efren Toro and those guys. And, and it wasn't until about a year after that where, Oh, I, I knew what to do with my hands and feet and, um, and, you know, started correcting some of the bad habits. That was so many years ago that I think some of these bad habits have come back now. So I look strange. You know, my left hand is weird. My right hand is weird. My posture is weird. <laughs> and I, you know, those are the things I try to correct um, nowadays when I sit down. And it's basically about relaxing, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, but Elvin Jones looked, he didn't look normal. No, and uh, and he didn't sound normal. So I mean, you again, see all those, those you see kids. all those pictures of him, and he's like all hunched over, and like, you know, yeah, his his technique was, or yeah, not his technique, but, but his you know, posture and everything. But it doesn't matter. The, the end result is what matters. What it sounds like, not mm-hmm. not what it looks like. You know, tell it's that to all the guys on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's really not a spectator sport. Really, it's music, right? You know, and so. MTV ruined that shit for everybody. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then DCI, and then DCI, you know, and then the, all the, the, the drum videos that came out in the late eighties and early nineties. And, you know, that's when people got really into technique and breaking it down and how you look and the angle of your drums and cymbals. And maybe there's some, you know, some of that works, but you know, to, to check it out. But the end result is what does it sound like? What does it feel like? And is it good for the music? Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't care what you look like, you know? Yeah. 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 Uh, I was just going to ask if you think that, that it's gone too far in the, the direction of making it a spectator sport. Sometimes, 
Yeah. Sometimes I feel like that. I'm just not interested, you know, all the time. I mean, I love, you know, I, I, I'm on Instagram once in a while and mm-hmm. mainly to check out, you know, stuff. I just check stuff out. I don't post as much as I do, you know, just, you know, uh, you know, I'm a voyeur. I, I like checking out. Like I love Daru Jones, for example. Yeah. I love that dude. There's, there's like, whoa, that looks weird. The drums are like almost, you know, coming at you. You know, the, <laughs> right. the, you see the heads from the back row yeah. of any venue. And, and yet you listen to that, and that is the most unorthodox but beautiful, funky, and natural at the same time vibe. Yeah. You know, that's one of the... That's one of the guys that's blowing me away right now. Don Lombardi's Don Lombardi told me that every time he looks at Daru's kid, he's like, it looks like the like in the old J C Penny magazines where they would like take a picture of the drum set but they didn't know how to set it up and it was just like on the page. <laughs> Isn't that a trip? That's exactly true. That's yeah, and, and then he sits down and like plays his ass off. It's amazing. It's I don't know like, how he plays that kid. Like, but. Well, you know, it's like looking at a bongo player. You know, you know, bongos between mm-hmm. the knees and, and the heads are like, just, you know, <laughs> they're just, it's just crazy. I mean, that's what that looks like. But again, maybe that's why I checked them out in the first place because it looked strange. But then I went, oh man, dig the way this thing feels and sounds and, mm-hmm. you know, and he's improvising half the time. So he's got facility and 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 he's not playing anything he's not it's not like he's written out a bunch of stock beats and you know playing them verbatim he's he's up there improvising so he's got stuff to say he's mm-hmm. got a language together you know he's got command of that language you know the you interesting know? thing about him is that like you're saying about he, how he has so much facility there's old videos of him kind of before he really came into his own and like started changing away the the drum set is sitting and everything and there's clips of him playing and he is just ripping around the kid like <laughs> i mean just Yo. like my man has chops right and then i think that he came into his own a little bit and now he just does his thing and he's like you know he sounds like Daru Jones now and, and he doesn't, there's less like choppy stuff and it's just, everything is super funky and groovy, which I love. Um, but yeah, there's a, like you said, he's, he's got facility, man. He's got, he's definitely got some headroom for sure. Yes. And I kind of figured, I kind of figured that I didn't look into his past, but I figured he came from somewhere else and this is a conscious decision. and, And he's, you know, this is a new recipe that he found and it's working for him. And, and that's, that's what it's all about. You're, you, you know, to, to have your own voice, you, you pretty much have to check out everything. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that I think for me, that's how it worked. So, you know, I was checking out tree lock Gurtu, Alex mm-hmm. Van Halen, uh, Elvin Jones, and of course, Jack Dejanette, uh, Zig, uh, you know, and then a lot of other cats from uh, Africa and Europe at the time, South America, uh, of course, all the hip hop guys, you know, Questlove, uh, you know, like everybody else, you know, uh, around the time of that voodoo album that pretty much changed a lot of shit for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody played funk the same after that. 
you know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, you're, you're checking out all these different people, constantly checking them out, listening to records, um, you know, maybe transcribing if, if you know how to do that, you know, taking snippets of this and that. And, and if you're doing that every day for six, seven hours, back when we had energy and gravity didn't take over and all that stuff, um, you know, eventually something happens and, and you know what you like and what you don't like, you know what you can do, what you're not capable of doing. So you have to, you know, just you put your ego aside and, and, and be happy with what, what has, what's starting to come out and what your limitations are like, well, that's it, you know, put your ego mm-hmm. aside and this is what you sound like, man. So, you know, um, you know, be yourself. Everyone else is taken. So, yep. um, you know, that's, an, that's another one that, mm-hmm. um, I like to say, because that's so true. You know, you only have a certain amount of time on this planet. And, and if you're always cloning and modeling, it's, you know, I mean, at some point you got to stop doing that verbatim. Right. You know, not to say you quit listening to people, but you have to develop your own thing. Mm-hmm. You just have to, especially if you live in L.A., New York, Nashville, London, you know. But I would say just in general that music is about that, because as we all know, it, there's hardly a business left. So it's back down to how you started, you know. You didn't right. start it to make money or feed a family or or even travel. You just you fell in love with the sound and the feel. Mm-hmm. and what it did to you, you know, and how much time you put into it. You weren't looking at a clock. You were like, oh, shit, I've been in here, I don't even know how many hours. But when you first start playing, you're in love with the way the drum smells when you take the head off and, mm-hmm. you know, you like setting them up. And, you know, you're, you're, not, you're not jaded at all. Right. It's very pure. It's like having, you know, it's like when you see a child. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a father now, so... um Man, it's just the most innocent, pure thing. And to get back to that, you know, it's not easy because, you know, life has set in and, you know, the mm-hmm. political climate today, everyone's pissed off. And, right. And, uh, you know, and the music business is enough to piss you off and make you want to quit sometimes. Yeah. You know. And then you get uh, online so and you compare the- yourself to all these other people and, you know, you're like, oh, I'm never going to yeah. be as good as this person or, you know, which is detrimental uh at best you know like you've no idea what their what that backstory is or or how long they've well, been everybody's like if, been yeah i'm go sorry ahead. to interrupt no we're we're here for you to talk not me to talk <laughs> you know but every every famous drummer and and icon has been through that they, they've seen new guys come up you know uh right Keltner saw weckle come up at one point you know and it really didn't change. At least I don't think so. It didn't, didn't change him, you know, and he just kept doing his thing. You're, you're respectful. You know how much work it takes. You, you know, you, uh, definitely, uh, uh, enjoy it, you know, for what it is. And you got to have a sense of humor too. This is how life works. Mm-hmm. You know, you were the guy once or you were, you know, Again, it's not it's not a race; it's a parade. Right. So, oh, I like that. I've never heard of that. Yeah, you know, that's another one. I steal all this shit from from smarter guys. 
What did I say? Know, I was uh, lucky enough. Steal, uh-huh. you have to, what is it? If you steal from one person, or if you take from one person, it's stealing, but if you take yeah. take from, or if you take from a bunch of people, that's art, right? <laughs> yeah, great artist borrows. You know, there you go. You basically borrow it. Something like that. But, yeah, um, you know, so everybody's been through it, and, and you know, you just got to put your head down and, and do what you do, and try to be a nice person uh, on top of it all, you know. And that's, again, that's super difficult because there's a lot of assholes out there Yeah. Um, with an angle, you mm-hmm. know. So I feel you like never a lot of those guys coming. get weeded out, though, don't you? Because it's such a small industry. Well, look at what happened to Robin DiMaggio just three days ago. <sighs> Insane, dude. <laughs> Insane. You know, I, remember, I remember seeing him at a clinic in the 90s uh, at Guitar Center. And, you know, I didn't really know what his, his trip was, but I, I kind of had a feeling. And, you know, I had a sense of humor. And I just thought, well, maybe, you know, this guy's kind of funny, you know, he's, and he's a businessman, you know. Kind of had but, a feeling, what, that he but, was like a little shady? Sure. Yeah. He was kind of jived, you know. Yeah. I, I know this is a podcast and, you know, maybe he'll get out of jail and come looking for me. I don't know, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> but. No, I think if man, you steal you know, $750,000 from a charity that's supposed to go to kids, I'm okay yeah. with saying that you're, you're jive. I know. I'm okay with you saying know promoters, that. You know, if you do know promoters and have dealt with them, some of them deserve it, but not, not a children's uh, charity. No right. way. For the UN. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You know, but yeah, somebody posted something. You know, like I, I threw three baseball hats with uh, I saw Castronova. It. Did you see that? Yes, yeah, Castronova, uh, Gordon, and and DiMaggio. Yeah, yeah. I remember Jeff Ricardo, you know, coming into a a clinic at at the school at at Musicians Institute. I think nineteen eighty five when I was there, and uh, you know, and he was bragging about Jim Gordon. You know, oh, man, if you guys haven't heard Jim Gordon, you don't you don't know anything about drums. Yeah. Best drummer ever. He just, you know, he just couldn't get his mom's voice out of his head. And and so he goes, well, he, he took care of that, you know. Yeah. So, Were you there? With... Yeah. yeah. I remember, because I remember yeah. him. I remember that. There's a video of that clinic and he's like, yeah, he's like I in jail. In that, I was, yeah, I was in that class. <laughs> I was in shit. that room. I was and in everybody that room. starts laughing and he's like, oh no, I'm serious. He's in jail. He killed his mom. Yeah, and, it, and it just room, got like man. holy. Shit. That was the old school next to the Wax Museum, and it was like maybe twenty kids to a class, twenty right. drummers. It was a tiny little school, and it was fucking great. You know, it was my first year in L.A., and I was like super excited and scared to death every day. Like, oh shit, everybody in this class can read, and knows the rudiments and knows styles, and I knew none of that, man. Mm-hmm. So I was behind the whole year, you know, the whole year I was afraid to step up, but I worked, you know, mm-hmm. I worked really hard for a couple of years through that, through that year and the year after. And then, you know, stuff started happening for me. Right. Uh, but yeah, I was, I was at that Picaro clinic and he came in and blew our minds. He just sat down effortlessly and had the most gorgeous technique and, and here's the guy that was known for just pocket, but I mean, mm-hmm. he had beautiful, you know, he had whips for hands. He could just 
play the most beautiful stuff. His touch and his power, his speed, his decisions, uh, sense of humor, you mm-hmm. know. And um, and then Lukather came in at one point with a six pack, and they lit up a joint. And uh, this is in <sighs> class, you know. So this is the '80s, right? So we were like, "Oh my God, how can this they do amazing. this at a school?" You know, but you know the business has changed. So right. I want to touch on yeah, one thing ahead. about Picaro real quick because I want to ask you about this with him. So he Jeff Picaro comes in, right? First of all, you're you're feeling like sort of intimidated by everyone because you don't feel like you're up to snuff. And then Jeff Picaro comes in and he's Jeff Picaro. He might as well be God and he like levitates into the room, I'm sure. And yeah. he talks about like, yeah, I played the baked potato and I'm supposed to have my shit together and I'm nervous and I don't and like I can't play a shuffle and I hate the way this sounds and all that. And you're like, oh. He's human, like the rest of us. Did you feel that? Like, did, yeah, he, did. did he give off that sort of like that vibe, at, at, like in the clinic in person? Sure. Uh, yeah, I, he was very humble, very humble. And, you know, and, and so I was pretty young and I didn't know anything about anything really. So mm-hmm. I thought, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't really believe him. I remember not believing that. I thought it was an act, that part of it. And, the humility? Uh, the humility. You know? yeah. uh, no, I mean, I, I knew he was humble. But, uh, you know, like, it wasn't long after where I realized, no, he's telling the truth. You know, right. that Jeff didn't think much of himself. Uh, it just so happened that he was everything. He just didn't think that much of himself all the time. He had confidence, but, you know, he was hanging out with Vinny Caliuta. God's sake. So he knew, you know, that, look, there's always somebody better, you know. Right. Jeff just Jeff knew exactly what who he was, uh, you know, when he sat down to play, for sure. Um uh, and I, I just lost the plot here. I was I had something to say about this and I spaced out. Um God. I'm well, not you walking so- around in my back. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> well, you were saying that that uh, that you sort of thought it was an all that all of it was an act. Oh yeah. And, and... So I mean, I was intimidated by the class of '85, basically the students and the Europeans and the South Americans, and you know, um, because again, I didn't, you know, I couldn't read an eighth note. I, I couldn't tell right. what an eighth note rest was, and it took a long time to figure that out. <laughs> who who else came so, out of that I, class I with you? Was there anyone? of note that came out with you that year. Why am I spacing on this? Well, there were a lot of great guys. This guy, Bobby Gabriel was so far, you know, ahead. And I don't even know what that guy's doing anymore. He may have burned out. I'm not sure, but he was just brilliant. And Mm. you know, he had electronics together in 85. Um, you know, uh, any style, beautiful hands, great reader, uh, could swing, you know, had his Latin shit together. Mm-hmm. Trying to think, um, nobody like, like Biscara's class was different. I think, well, obviously Kirky B came out of that. And there was another guy named Rory, I think Flores, that was uh, right before me. Carla Azar. Um, shit, I'm spacing, man. Nope, I don't remember anybody else. I mean, not that I, you know, not that I became a big deal ever, but, but, um, you know, I'm out here working still. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, but you know, after that, Jeff, 
after that clinic with Jeff, then I saw Vinny, you know, and then I saw Tony Williams. Mm-hmm. So that same year. So I got out huh. of school. Out You're of, like, I better get my stuff together. <laughs> no, I actually left. I went to really? San Diego. I went back to San Diego, regrouped, ended up in Los Alamitos, which is like, you know, Long Beach-esque. Mm-hmm. I don't know where, where. It's Orange County. And so I went back and, and I took algebra and, you know, political science and just some shit at a local college. And I played in, you know, like a Greek wedding band and a country band and a rock band. Uh, I basically, I left LA, although I kept it, you know, 30 miles, you know, to, to where I could, you know, jump in if I did get an audition, but I almost threw the towel in, you know, really? after that school. When I saw those guys, I went, well, I'll never be that good. So I split. Really? And that's interesting. Yeah, I went and I still played and I made money playing and I still studied all the stuff from Musicians Institute. I still kept working on that. And I had no friends, didn't have a girlfriend. And I lived in some girl's, uh, you know, back bedroom. And, um, you know, and, and I just, it wasn't until I got a call from Ike Willis. Just, uh, he was the singer in Zappa's band, singer mm-hmm guitar player and uh, you know I, I a friend of mine was working with him and he goes hey come back to LA and audition for this guy and so I did and then I went okay I'm done with this you know going back and studying algebra shit fuck this so I so I left and you know that lasted about seven months where I basically had you know I was looking for plan B right and right, right. I realized you know you can't have a plan B you just can't you got to jump in you can't give yourself five years, two years, and then go do business or something. It's you're, you're all, you gotta you're be in. all in, you know? And, mm-hmm. and then, you know, once I got back here, uh, I mean, it was like, like I said, maybe a seven month sabbatical, but when I got back, stuff started happening because I just kept working at it. You know, yeah. I wouldn't say, you know, I wouldn't take no for an answer as far as myself, you know, no had to leave. You know, I can't do this and, you know, it's not going to happen. That stuff had to leave my vocabulary. So was that, did you, did you have that self-talk before where you were like, you know, sort of, I'm not good enough or I'm not going to make it or, or sort of making excuses. Like, was there a mental shift that where you were like, you know what? No, I am going to do this. And like some mindset changes that you had to make. Well, frankly, I just realized, you know, this is all I'm actually half good at you know, at that point. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have anything to fall back on. So right. all my friends were in college and, you know, I didn't go that route. So I, I did the music school, the, the trade school for a year. And, and that was the greatest thing that ever happened to me, you know? Right. Uh, but then again, seeing Vinny and Tony and Carlos Vega and, and Jeff, seeing that up close, I, it freaked me out. But mm-hmm. I didn't give up. I just went away for a minute. Right. And regrouped. regrouped. And well, it, it wouldn't hurt to, you know, it wouldn't hurt to learn a couple other things that you forgot to do in, in high school, you know. And right. meanwhile, you're still playing. And maybe it was a diversion, but I, I think it was just trying to be a little more rounded, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and just to find out none of that shit matters. All that matters is, you know, being here. And, uh, and, and doing it, you know, 
Right, right, right. And uh, every day, you know, every single day, you know, you don't take any time off. And, and, I, and I loved it, too. I loved the process of, of practicing and investigating and people and, you know, having fun. Musicians are fun. So mm-hmm. it, it was just, and it was supercharged. And then I got some big gigs, you know, within four years, I was, I was out, you know, I was on MTV with, with Cheryl Crow and, and, uh, uh Kevin Gilbert in this band called Toy Matinee. Mm-hmm. And then from there it started happening, you know, that, then I started playing with Jude Cole and then Dweezil Zappa and, and then Steve Vai, that was another thing. Abe Jr. was on that. And then he quit. And so I had to go out and three, I had three days to learn all that music. And Bozio was the drummer on the record. So I was like, whoa, I don't know if I can do this in three days. And I practiced three 16, 17-hour days. Wow. And went out there and, and Abe left. Abe was really young. Abe left the tour and I took over and I went out and that kicked my ass. And, you know, I was in a tour bus, a double decker with some of the Metallica crew and it was pretty violent. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, uh, and then Vi was really difficult, uh, real demanding. And, you know, and the style was like, it didn't come into my hands real easily. It was very loud, and, you know, double pedal and all that shit and a bunch of toms and, you know, uh, but it was one of the greatest things I ever did because, you know, it never, nothing was ever as difficult as that ever again. So was there a point when you were on that tour, when you were like, how the hell did I end up here? Yeah, absolutely. And then I also yeah. quit, you know, I told them I'm the wrong guy for you. Right. And, 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 and just to, it, just to be clear, when I said that, I wasn't saying it like, I don't, that you didn't belong there and that you didn't earn it. But I think sometimes like you, you know, we work so hard and keep our heads down and then one day we just end up somewhere and you're like, how did this happen? Like, how did I end up? Yeah. It was a series, you know, it was a series of events where, you know, I was playing with this guy, Mike Keneally and Mark Bonilla, I remember. And this is after the toy matinee thing. And, uh, and, and one of those guys, well, Oh, Keneally, another Zappa guy. who's was a total genius. You know, he uh, he was playing with Dweezil, and Dweezil was doing a record. Josh Freeze had just left Dweezil's band, and Josh went out to do the studio thing, and and he hit big. So so Dweezil was basically doing this record with like twelve different drummers: Ainsley Dunbar, Mark Craney, Terry Bozio, and so and Keneally pulls me into that mix. I'm like, you're fucking kidding me. I got to play next to these guys. And, you know, so I ended up doing some of the most difficult music. And I, I could do it because I had learned how to read now and learn how to write a chart and learn how to, you know, you know, I could, I could figure out, you know, what 9-8 was. And even though I grew up playing in 9-8, some of the Greek music I did, none, right. it was not, nothing like that. It wasn't folkloric. It was fusion, you know, Zappa-esque. Mm-hmm. So when I went in, they loved me, you know, and ultimately gave me the gig to do after I did the record. And I did not take it. I went, no, I'm going to go out with this pop guy, Jude Cole, who has a record deal. And I liked playing simple songs. Right. You know, so, uh, yeah. So, you know, but then again, I, I ended up on the Vi gig. And, mm-hmm. and you know, and 
I, I needed a number one, I needed a job. Right. Number two, it was Steve Vai. And I was a fan of the David Lee Roth era Vi and the white snake Vi. You know, I, I liked yeah, yeah. some of that music, you know, I was mm-hmm. open to music. It didn't matter what music it was. I was, I just liked all kinds of shit. I liked Racer X, mm-hmm. you know, with Scott Travis in it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I liked all kinds of, you know, still like the Ohio players. I liked all kinds of music all at once. I was listening to music all day long. So I could play enough of it to where I got the gig and kept it. But I tapped out at one point. You know, there were faster guys coming up. And, you know, my awkward kind of traditional grip thing you know, playing, playing, you know, speed grooves and, you know, speed double bass shit and whatever you want to call that. They weren't blast beats yet, but right. You know, yeah, yeah. just Bozio, you know, that, that old thing, um, you know, at one point it just wasn't me anymore, but I got enough of it, you know? So I got some of that. I still have some of that in me today. So when it does, you know, when it presents itself, we're, you know, one tune is about that. I can get it together in a couple of weeks. Right. And it stems from doing that work back in the day. So, and, and you know, when you need a job, you take it, you know, and if they don't fire yeah, you, sure. you keep it, you know? And, and then unfortunately you get pigeonholed and yeah. Oh, that, that's what that guy does. And so, you know, you find yourself, you know, not agreeing with that. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, you're not going to go around telling people you're not that, but, but, you know, until they find out that you're a fraud. <laughs> right. And, um, you know, I mean, I feel like, I feel like Bozio that happened to him a little bit where he got a little pigeonholed, you know, me, I mean, yeah, maybe. Right. Not sure. And he's like, I, I, I don't know. And I'm like, he's Terry Bozio. He's amazing. You know, like, yeah. Yeah. He can cut. He can cut the gig. You know. <laughs> yeah, he can cut the gig. Right. It's a. It's he can just... cut. Yeah. I mean, Jerry. I think just chose. You know, he chose to do uh, his own thing. You know? Right. I think he got sick of playing. He got sick of the music business. He got sick of playing. You know, with with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I'm not sure. I don't want to speak for him, but sure, I'm guessing. You know, but, and then somebody else told me a long time ago, it's good to be pigeonholed because they know you for one thing. You just have to, you know, you, you just have to know that you personally have to know this is what you're good at. Right. And that you, and that you like this. I don't mind being pigeonholed for something I love to do. Right. It's right. when it's something, when it's, oh no, I, I didn't mean that. That was a mistake. You know, I didn't mean, I didn't mean for you guys to enjoy that. Yeah, I want to. I want to try to get pigeonholed into the the really high paying uh, world tours. <laughs> I just want to get. You know, let me get, I, I let really, me get pigeonholed into that. You know, I never. I, and this is this is the truth. I never went after a gig because of money. Not once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I never did. I got paid well a few times, uh, but I I actually did a gig. I'm not going to mention any names, but where they were giving me, you know, a bunch of money, more than I ever made in like a year back in the day. So, <laughs> mm. uh, and you know, a month into the gig, I quit and gave them back, I think 75% of their money. 
Really? Because you know, they had given it to me up front in mm -hmm. my account. So I quit the gig. I hated the gig. I couldn't imagine being out there for four months doing that. So I knew, and I did not have a bunch of money in the bank. So right. I knew what I was, who I was at that point. I went, well, you, you don't care. You don't care that you're going to make, you know, $150,000 in three months. You're going to give it back, you right. know, uh, because it was that painful. Money and doesn't equal like happiness, right? No way, man. It goes yeah. away like, you know, yeah, you can blow through that so quickly, especially today. Yeah, for um, sure. You do have to have some money. You definitely need money to, to uh, survive, but... Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I never went after a gig because the dough was cool. Never, you know. Me neither. I don't think I've ever done anything for the money. You know, there you like go. I, I enjoy making money. Of course, who doesn't? And if someone says yeah. we will either pay you a thousand or ten thousand, I'd rather have them pay me ten thousand. But I've never, I've never made a decision on money because I think that, I think that if you're good at something and you get good enough at the thing that you love, then the money will come. You know. It'll sort of work itself out. So. Yeah. So you've heard me mention numerous times about the new kits that are coming out from Apex and uh, some revolutionary stuff that they've been working on. And they finally released all of the information about it, about the Black Panther Design Lab series drum kits. And you have to go to MapexDesignLab.com to learn everything about it. They were not exaggerating when they said it's some revolutionary stuff. They have a new hardware that has uses a magnetic field that hangs the drum, so it's sort of just floating there, and you can adjust the tension, you can adjust the sound, and there is a lot more information than I can explain here in 45 seconds. I recommend going to mapexdesignlab.com. You will be blown away by the technological advancements that they've made over there at Mapex. Check them out. Go to mapexdesignlab.com. We may sit at the back of the stage, but the band revolves around us. Why? Because we set the tempo, the intensity, and most importantly, the tone. And the easiest way to set the tone is to play Evans Drumheads with Level 360 technology. They're trusted by industry icons like Chris Coleman and Anika Niles, and Evans Drumheads offer the most consistent fit for every drum and max tunability all around. Plus, they take you well beyond the normal tuning ranges for higher highs and lower lows. So now, the sound you want will always be the sound you get. Check them out by going to evansdrumheads.com and get yourself some Level 360 technology. And now more with Toss Panos. As we're talking, there's been this theme that I've noticed running through a lot of the things that you, that you've said and it's it's this idea of self-awareness and you seem to be very or you are very self-aware of what you're good at what you're not good at what expect, expectations you should have what you shouldn't have um you know if you're the right person for the job if you're not etc cetera, etc cetera. is that is that a mental mental muscle that you sort of developed over over time or has that, so. have you always been, it, it, it's something that you, no, so if you I've always been like the black sheep. I've always been stubborn. Uh, uh, even though I'm super open to a lot of stuff at, at the end of the day, after I've tried everything, I know mm -hmm. I, I tried this. That's my open in my, my willingness to be open right. and, you know, be a citizen of the world and all that. 
But at the end of the day, you you know, when you when you finally get to bed, you're like, nah, I don't know if I can keep doing this. Um, so, you know, you are who you are. And I guess right. I've been like that since I was a little boy, you know, try mm-hmm. it all. And then, uh, you know, and then you're not comfortable and, and you end up getting mad. You know, you just walk around uh, with, you know, what feels like cancer if it's the wrong thing. So right. I, I try to avoid that. And the older you get, you don't have any time for that. So I have no time for that in my life. Yeah. So it, it is, you know, it, I, it's definitely a muscle that, you know, I exercise. And I, th- but, you know, um, <clears throat> it's, I think it's such a buzzword now that everyone's talking about self-awareness, self-awareness, but I, it's, I think it's such an important thing, especially as, as a musician, because you can go down so many different roads or, you know, you can choose different things and all that. Do you have, do you have advice for people who are maybe not very self-aware, like how to get there? Uh, I know that's sort of a a hard question and and it's kind of like a little esoteric, but does, do you have any advice for that? Repeat that one more time. I'm out in my backyard walking around and I'm, thinking about a million different things and basically I'm thinking about how this, this interview started and I knew what I was kind of getting into. And now I'm like totally confused, <laughs> but, uh, repeat, repeat, uh, please repeat that last sentence. Well, I was just uh, asking if, if you have any advice for people who maybe aren't as self-aware, you know, if, if for fight for being more self-aware of, of yourself and talents and where you want to be going and all that. Mm, no, I don't, I, I don't. I mean, you just have to be honest and you, and you have to be kind, you know, to yourself and to others and, mm-hmm. uh, and can't be greedy and, and you have to do the work, you know, you just have to do the work and, and, and self-awareness happens when you're just doing the work, yeah. you know, and, and it's a Zen like state. When, when you're doing the work, that's all that really matters, mm-hmm. you know, and then the truth comes out and, and, and then you, you pretty much confidence happens in there too. You know, mm-hmm. um, there's really no shortcuts that I know of. Some people are a lot more talented. Stuff comes to them real easily. Um, they just have it all, it seems, and, you know, but, um, you know, if you start believing that you don't have it all, then that that's dangerous too. I mean, you have enough. Everybody has enough to do this. I mean, once you get the nuts and bolts together, and, and you find a a way to keep that going, mm-hmm. you know, a formula mm-hmm. to to uh, to do the work, uh, then then you know, and uh, I know a lot of kids that that do have it together, super young. I know 20 year olds that have together and, um, you know, that said, I also know some 60 year olds that don't have it together. You know, I, I like that. I don't have it all together really. Um, or else I, I guess I'd be bored. Yeah. What else, what are you going to do then? You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, let's say you have, you know, let's say you make, a, you know, $20 million. I mean, are you going to stop? learning you know yeah. you have 20 million in the bank i mean do you stop learning do you stop being interested in 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 growing as a person as, as a musician um 
you know, is that you have to question yourself. Is that why you got into it? Right. You know? Um, right. Because that really, that's all that matters. Look at Jim Keltner. I think he's 76 years old or Zig. My friend Zig is turning 70 this year and they still love to play the drums. You know, yeah. I was on the phone with Zigaboo like literally three nights ago for two hours and we talked about the drums. Right. He still loves playing the drums. Yeah. He doesn't love, you know, the business and scuffling, but the actual instrument, we talked about the shells and bearing edges and heads and, you know, here's a 70-year-old dude talking to me about this who's yeah. been through it all. Like he's a teenager and he's like wide-eyed and, you know, still in or, love with or, or Vinny, you know, Vinny was here in my studio recording a record like a, a year and a half ago and, you know, on the second day he shows up and he's out in this cul-de-sac, you know, out front and he's got, he goes, hey, Tassarino, I got this cymbal I want you to hear and he pulls it out of the back seat of the car and, he, you know, I put it on my finger. It's a big old china or something. Forget. And he's whacking it. His hand, his bare hand, in the middle of this cul-de-sac, and and he's getting excited about the the tone of this symbol, you know. And he's like, "Damn, check that out! Isn't that beautiful?" And he's whacking this symbol, you know, super loud in this quiet neighborhood. It was like, there you go. How could you not take that as the most beautiful, you know? That that's it. It's all. He's still kind of a geek about the drums. Right. You know? Right, right, right. <laughs> I love you know, it. it. Has nothing to do with playing fast or or being, you know, even he's Vinny Kaliuta. Yeah. You know? It's yep. a trip, man. But that's what it's about. Those are the guys I look up to and I try to stay, you know, stay away from all the negative stuff that's out there and all the negative people and you know, I don't need that. For a sure. lot of them too. There are. Jeez. Yeah, there can't are. take it. Yeah. So I got one more question for yeah. you before before I let you go. Yeah. Um. So if you were 25 now, going into this business or trying to have a go at this business, how how would you do it, or what would you do, or would you would you not pursue it full time? Well, I don't know how to answer that because it's you know when I was 25, it was it was in a way it was simple. You just you, you were, a di you know, you studied being diverse, you know, and that, it mm -hmm. didn't mean programming. It didn't mean uh, running a studio. It didn't mean production. It didn't mean songwriting even. It should have meant that, but it went, you know, I, I, I missed that boat. I was just so busy trying to, you know, keep gigs together and, and just, I, I was in love with the instrument and, you know, it, it didn't mean, um, uh, what it does today that being diverse today is a whole other kettle of fish. So right. a lot of, I think there so many, you know, like you look at Lewis Cole and, um, you know, some of the guys online that I've seen and seen in person, they have it together. That that's right. the new definition of being diverse. They, they write songs, they make their own videos, they program, they play their asses off. Um, you know, some of these guys are incredible, man. Um, you know, I, I think it would be best to ask those guys that because for me, I did it. You know, my goal was just to be able to play in any setting that I, I wanted to play in, 
you know, and that meant being versatile enough as a, as a drummer and musician, mm-hmm. you know, and I do have a recording studio and I, I work out of it here, but I don't write music. I have tried doing that before. You know, when you work with great songwriters, you're like, well, well, that's what a songwriter is. And you're not that. So, you know, maybe someday I will write a tune, <laughs> you right. know, but uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to program anything. I don't like doing that. Um, I, I just want to keep active. You know, I, I want to stay in the mix somehow. And, sure. and I listen to all the new guys. So I think, you know, like Sean Horton, there's just a lot of guys out there that have it together and mm-hmm. they, they, they figured it out, you know, right. they figured it out. So I, I, uh, as far as them making a living and if their goal is to buy a house and raise a family, uh, I think it's going to be difficult to do it just in music, but you know, mm-hmm. maybe music, the business will change. Hopefully it'll change. Right. But, so I would say, you know, learn, learn about business too and make some investments. You yeah, know, for sure. Make some investments because the older you get, that stuff matters too. Yeah. You know, it matters that you have a home, that you actually own a home. And yeah. And I, I think it does matter, you know, because mm-hmm. um, because things change when you get older. You're not going to want to run out there and play for 75 bucks unless you love it, you know. Right. And, but you can't live off that. So, you know, make some investments, buy some property. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't believe in the stock market, so... Me neither. My whole other thing is property. Yeah. And so, you know, I think some of these guys are taking care of the, the diverse, the, you know, diversification that's needed, but in terms of music and, and everything under that roof, Mm -hmm. you know, under that umbrella. But, um, you know, I'm not going to like say, look, no, don't get into it. That that's that would be selfish, right? Because I don't know what the future holds. Yeah, just you be know? smart about it if you are going to get into it. Well, you just got a you got to love it and you got to do the work, right? And figure out how to make money at the same time. But mm-hmm. I would say you know invest in some property as well. Yeah, you know, and that yep. that'll that'll you know it makes your life a little more complicated on one end because now you don't have as much time to just play the drums and just do music all the time. But, but if you don't want to do something, you don't have to do it. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. so you're leaving, you know, you got an exit strategy. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I don't know if I answered that. You know, I would say it's best to ask some of the younger guys who have it together. No, I think that that's, I think it's solid advice because, you've been in this industry for so long. So you see, like you said, when you're, you know, as you start to, to get older, maybe when you're 20, you're like, yeah, sure. I'll go play for 50 bucks down the, down the street. I don't care. But when you're older and you have responsibilities and you have a house and a wife and two kids and all that kind of stuff, one, maybe you don't want to go do that gig Two, Maybe you're unable to do that gig because your daughter has soccer practice and you have to go to that. And, you know, three, maybe it's not worth the, the time and the money to go, to go do that. And you have to think about those things. It's, it's the same as making an investment into 
you know, whether you're investing into property or you're just investing into your future career in general, like you don't want to have to go take those $50 gigs if you don't want to. No, listen, if I love the music, then I, I take a gig for free. Sure, you know? sure, sure. But like you said, I'm you can't depend to... on, you can't depend on it, you know? No, there's less clubs, there's, there's less opportunity. You know, I would say, and I would say this, I mean, uh, kids need to play with, they need to play music in a room together. You know, yeah. they got to get away from looking at the screen and, you know, and doing all this shit on their own. And they, you need to play with people. And that's how we grew up playing in clubs and, and scuffling and practicing and arguing and, you know, and debating shit and, and, mm -hmm. you know, and it's not, it, it I, wasn't a solo. I get thing, it. You know, and we, it was never, I never wanted to play by myself. Ever, right you know me neither no I, don't, I never got that like i never even never enjoyed it it's kind of why i never enjoyed practicing to be honest i mean i love to practice yeah. once i get into it i love practicing uh but I, it's a means to an end yeah you know for sure. ultimately ultimately you have to enjoy playing with people and and you can't be a control freak you mm -hmm. know you got to be open to what somebody says that they're not digging it you might want to change something. That's why you practice. So you have other stuff to play, you know, right. And it's, and you're ready for it. Uh, you, you don't practice so you can just show off, you know, what you've practiced. So it, it's more like you have options now, mm -hmm. you know, if somebody's not digging that, you change it. You try to change it. You have a big grab bag full, full of stuff because you have practiced, but to, to be in a room by yourself. And I'm not saying all the kids are doing that, but, you know, and there's such control freaks. I mean, they hire you. Some kids have hired me. Oh man, I'm going to get you to play on my project. And then, and then, you, you know, you learn the tune and you get in there with them. And then they find, you find out that you're four bars into a groove and they're like, um, okay, that's great. But, um, they start micromanaging everything. You yeah. know, they're starting to change. And, you know, look, you're going to get the best me if you just don't tell me too much. You know, if I know your song, let me go at it a few times and then tell me what to do. You know, mm -hmm. when you stop after four bars and you haven't heard me continue my thought, that, that's just, you're a control freak. You know, you got me for the wrong reason. Yeah. I yeah, think yeah, yeah. that control freak shit comes from just, you know, operating, you know, uh, music by yourself in a room with plugins and, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, so... Yeah, you know, <laughs> I get it. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I do, I do. I'm at a loss for words, actually. Uh, I no, I, I mean, I, 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 I get it. Yeah, I mean, it's like, yeah, if you're, yeah, you know, if you're not around people, of, like you can't. How can you play music without people? You know, it's like having a. Well, how can I, you have a conversation with yourself? You know, like I said, sometimes, you know. For me, it's always been, I have other interests as well. You mm -hmm. know, I do other things and it's, it's like a, having a balanced life. I mean, I, you know, I like to ride a bike and cook and, you know, do shit like that. So it's not always about playing drums and, right. you know, you know, I love, I love hanging out with people and watching a bunch of movies and reading books and, you know, there's other stuff going on. Right, you know? right, right. 
And, do you know? Uh, do you know Chris just, Layton? They, 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 who's that? Do you know Chris Layton from? He played. Yeah, uh, I had dinner the, with him once at a Nam show. Oh, did you? <laughs> so yeah, he he's awesome. he. Uh, and he, he, like I had him on the podcast, and he said, "You know, yeah, I'm a drummer, but it doesn't define me as a person. I like all of right. these other things, and that all yeah. goes into my playing." Absolutely, you know? absolutely, yeah. Like I said early on in the in the interview, I said, um, "What did I say?" <laughs> I just walked into the kitchen here and forgot. Um, <laughs> that's called uh, that's called old age. <laughs> um, I said something. I mean, music. I said something, you know, and it was very, it was very intelligent. <laughs> it, what it was is music doesn't always come from music, and that's what I said a long time ago. Yeah. Sometimes it it comes from all this other stuff. Something you're reading, something you saw on TV, a great a great movie, a mm-hmm. piece of art, um, you know, traveling, uh, speaking another language, cooking different food. Which I do all that, you know, right. so, right. you know, I mean, and, and then I'm inspired to play, you know, I'm mm-hmm. inspired to play sometimes when, when, after doing stuff like that. And I, I think that's important. It's, it's like a balance, you know, mm-hmm. Yep. you just got to have a balanced life. Definitely have to have some balance in there. Yeah. Can't just you know, be all just, just to be, one-sided. just to be a, a, a human being. Yeah, you know, you got to you got to be aware of what's going on mm-hmm. around you. You know, so for sure. Yeah, well, this this Agreed. has been a lot more fun than I. I was kind of like not into doing this. It wasn't <laughs> no? just scheduling. It was like you know, I don't know what I have to say that's going to matter anymore. It's been said. Everyone said it. Right. You know. Uh, but, but I don't know. I guess some of this was kind of like therapy, even for me, just to get it out. Yeah. Well, I'm but, glad that I'm glad that you decided to do this because I've wanted to have you on for for a while. And you and I had this this conversation sort of off air, where you're like, "Yeah, I don't really know what I can what I can add to the conversation," but uh, but I think that that you added a lot. Well, I appreciate so. it, Nick. And um, send me a link. Let me know where I can find it. And, I will. I, I'll listen to about thirty seconds and turn it off. I'm telling you right now. I, oh, I, 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 like I wouldn't. Voice. I wouldn't expect you to. Uh, I don't think I've ever listened to an interview like of my that I've done yeah. with other people. They're like, "Here's the link." I'm yeah. like, "I'm not going to listen to it. I already know what I said." So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, not really excited about hearing my voice on on a podcast, right. <laughs> but, but some people like it. They, I've heard I sound like Jeff Ricardo. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Hey, Mitch. Oh, that's funny though. Yeah. Well, Toss, um, I, I I appreciate you, man. I really do. I'm I'm thankful that that we lot, were able man. to do this. I appreciate the the insights, the openness, the honesty. I think that goes that goes a long way, especially for the listeners. So I appreciate it. Great. Okay. Well, happy holidays, and uh, we'll talk soon. You too. Cool, man. I'll see you at the baked potato soon for sure. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Thanks, Toss. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. 
All right, that was Toss Panos. Hope you dug it. Hope you got some information out of there. And as I mentioned in the beginning, what I really got out of this conversation was the idea of self-awareness. And it's such a buzzword and it's easy it's it's easy to to just throw that word out there and say, "Yeah, you got to be self-aware." But really being honest with yourself, being honest with what you're good at, what you're not good at, uh, music that you like, different opportunities that you feel like you would enjoy or that you should pursue. And don't do what everyone else out there is doing. Do what makes you happy. Do what you're comfortable with and do the things that you feel like you can excel at the most. So if there's a certain genre that you like or if there's a certain you know thing that you really want to do, just do that and don't worry about what everybody else thinks or does because whatever makes you happy... If you are happy doing it, I think you'll work harder at it. If you work harder at it, you'll be more successful at it. So that's just my two cents, and that is what I pulled out of this conversation. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. So as always, shoot me a message or you know reach out on social media at Drummer's Resource. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.